Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Flukey. Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Christ the King and Living Hope Lutheran Churches. We are congregations of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Port Washington and Saukville, Wisconsin. We believe God's love is for you. Here's our message for this week. The first reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even those There may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have come so accustomed to idols until now they still think of the food that they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge, eating in a temple of an idol, they may not, they might not, since their conscience is weak. Be encouraged to the point of eating food and sacrifice to idols. So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is the cause of their failing, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a lot that is going on in our world right now. There's just this week, there's been big things like the presidential primary field shrinking, the U.S. attacked militants in Yemen and Iraq, smaller things, more local, like a new coach for the Bucks, NFL championship games this afternoon. Here at church, we had our annual meeting last week. We're getting ready for Ash Wednesday. Lent starts soon, by the way, if you want to sign up to help with Ash Wednesday. um, There's a sign-up sheet back there. And with everything that's going on in the world, all the things we could look at and think about and reflect on today, I want to reflect with you today what's obviously at the top of everybody's mind, the burning question of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Are we, as Christians, permitted to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? So today's your first time visiting or you're watching online. Obviously, this is exactly what you had in mind today. This is what God brought you here to hear, right? Stay with me. So let me start. Quick survey. How many of you in the last week have done this? How many of you have eaten meat sacrificed to an idol? None. How many of you were faced with the opportunity to eat meat sacrificed to an idol? Had that temptation, still none. 
So Paul spends an entire chapter of the Bible on this. So what is the big deal with this meat sacrifice to idols? Well, the background here is that the city of Corinth is a very pagan town. This is a picture. Um, the next picture is a temple to Apollos in the ruins in the city of Corinth. And so there's lots of, in Paul's time, lots of religious rituals happening all the time, including lots of animal sacrifices. And when an animal is sacrificed, you need to do something with the meat, right? You don't burn up the whole animal. You still have meat left over. And meat is valuable. It's too expensive to waste. Maybe we can relate to that a little bit today still. And so the meat from these pagan sacrifices is sold to the public in the market. It's for people to buy and eat. And obviously, good Jewish people, good Christian people know that they should be worshiping only God, right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not make idols, do not worship idols. One God, no other gods before me. And so some of the Christians in this early church in Corinth are concerned that if they were to eat this meat that's been used for an idolatrous sacrifice, a pagan sacrifice, well, then they're participating in worshiping other gods, which is bad. Not supposed to do that. They don't want to break this commandment about worshiping only the one true God. But then there's other good Christians, faithful people in the same community, who just don't see what the big deal is. How is eating this good meat worshiping idols? How is that going against God? It's not like you're doing the sacrifice. They're buying perfectly good, affordable meat, <laughs> taking advantage of what's available. If we did it today, we might call it good stewardship. Or when they go, say, to somebody's house to eat dinner, they don't want to be rude and stop the host and say, where did you get this meat? Is this idolatrous? Are you an idol worshiper? So they write to Paul to ask what to do. And of course, Paul knows that the meat, that the idols this meat is sacrificed to are just that. They're idols. They're not gods. They're man-made human constructs. They have no power. So in verse 4, he writes, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and there is no God but one. And so really, the question, should you eat meat sacrificed to another god, is academic, right? As long as you know idols don't exist and you're just eating meat, as long as it's not a spiritual thing for you, Paul doesn't see any problem with it. Now, some of the stronger Christians might hear that it's okay and take it to the next logical step and think everybody ought to be eating meat to make a point. Sort of, look what we can do, because we know those gods aren't real. Look what we can do without wavering in our faith. In fact, we ought to maybe even require, everybody should do this just to prove you have no faith in an idol. They might think they're even making a point about how much they believe in God's grace, how much they believe in only one God. They know that they can do anything and still be forgiven. Martin Luther famously said, sin boldly so that God may forgive you more boldly. Paul is not a fan of that idea either. Paul is clear that food is not going to bring us closer to God, and so we're no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do eat this food that's been sacrificed to idols. And then Paul gets to his more important point. Even though eating meat sacrificed to idols is not in itself a problem for those who don't see it as worship, 
it could be a problem for other Christians, for the ones Paul describes as weaker. Because for those people who until recently believed in those idols, those people who've just become Christian after growing up as idol worshipers, who still might be a bit superstitious, eating sacrificed meat could be a step too far for them. Also, he says, the public witness is important too. If I, knowing as I do that the Lord is the only God, if I go out and I eat some idol meat, someone else might see it and think that I, as a Christian, am worshiping the idols. What other people think of it matters. Doing the right thing, or, well, yeah, doing the right thing is not just about what you have the right to do or what you can get away with. It's about loving your neighbor. As Paul puts it, by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. The message, Bible paraphrase, puts it like this. For instance, say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols, where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Isn't there great danger if someone's still struggling over this issue, someone who looks up to you as knowledgeable and mature, sees you go into that banquet? The danger is that that person will become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up themselves in what their conscience tells them is wrong. Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for them? Because as you say, it really doesn't make any difference. But it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking their eternal ruin, when you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there is not worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. I like that paraphrase. I think that makes it a little more understandable than the version that we read directly translated. In a worship note last week, one of the confirmation students asked me, what is next Sunday going to be about? And I wrote back, it's about meat sacrificed to idols but really it's about loving your neighbor. And I've always liked this story, this whole chapter, because this seems to be this archaic, obscure issue that has nothing to do with us at all. But really, this is about how we live together as God's people, how we support one another. The point of this reading is not really about whether it's acceptable to meet, eat meat sacrificed to idols. We're not having that issue. The point is the principle of supporting one another. As a church, part of our job is to support each other, and not just each other here in the building, but others in our wider community, in our world. And if someone is struggling with an issue, well, we ought to be doing whatever we can to help them. So maybe a more modern example of this passage is gambling. Someone goes to the casino for fun to gamble and responsibly takes the money they're willing to lose, and wonderful, that's fine, that's okay. But if I take a friend to the casino who I know has problems with gambling, well, then I'm the one causing them to stumble, and that's not okay. That's not lifting each other up. Or a similar example, and I didn't realize, I forgot how much the song talks about this too. Same for alcohol, right? There's churches that have beer and theology nights. Wonderful. For some people, that's great. For people who struggle with alcoholism, going to a bar for Bible study might be a terrible idea. And I also like this story 
Because it demonstrates that conflict in the church, having questions, not quite all being on the same page, is not a new thing. There's people with good intentions, good faithful people on both sides of this issue, and so they write to Paul to ask what to do. And I think, even though we can't, in the same way, write a letter to Paul to ask what to do, we can learn from Paul's response, right? Look at what he does. Although he agrees with one side, he agrees that the idols are not real and it's fine to eat the meat, he ends up deciding in favor of what will benefit others. He agrees that the people have the freedom to eat the meat that's been sacrificed to the idols, but he asks them to limit their freedom for the benefit of others. We do that as a church, right? We set aside some of our personal preferences for the sake of the people in the next pew over. Maybe a song is not your favorite, but I hope that you sing it anyway and you trust that it's a meaningful experience for somebody. One of the tasks we did last week at the meeting was set an annual budget, a financial ministry plan for the year. When we give money in the offering, we know, if you think about it, you know that those who give are supporting those who don't give. Those who give a lot are supporting those who give a little. And I'm so grateful to those who give more than their fair share to support their sisters and brothers who don't or can't give. And our church exists to serve others. The reason we're here is not for ourselves. And our goal as a congregation has to be to look out for the weak, for the people who have different priorities, for our neighbors. Because if we are here for our own benefit then we're much closer to just being a country club. And there's nothing wrong with being a country club. You can join a country club. Wonderful. But it's not a church. When we invite people to come to worship, if we're inviting them because we're looking around and thinking our attendance is low, we could use some more butts in these pews, we're looking at the budget thinking we need some more people to give. Who can I invite to church? We're missing the point. <laughs> we need to be inviting people for their sake for what God has to say to them, for their benefit, because we love and care for them and want them to know the love of Jesus. When we make decisions about what to do as a church, how to shape our worship, where to spend our time and our energy, our priority cannot be ourselves. Just because we can do something, just because it'll feel good to us, does not make it the right or the faithful thing to do. Our mission is to reach out to all people with love and the good news of Jesus, not so our church will be the biggest, but so people will grow in faith because God has trusted us with a message that our neighbors need to hear. We do community service work. We serve meals at Family Promise, and you can sign up for that back there too. Not so that we look good, but so that people will experience God's love through our work. It's all for God's glory, shown in our love for our neighbors. If we really believe that we are saved and forgiven by God's grace, if we really believe we are free in Jesus Christ, then we are free to do all things. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We are already forgiven. But in our freedom, we choose to follow God, to live in ways that serve others. As God chose to sacrifice, to be limited by coming to live with us in the person of Jesus Christ as a human, 
we in turn give up some of our freedoms. We give up what we could do for the benefit of others. It's all Jesus' fault, as we just sang. Your actions, your choices, your priorities, every little thing you do, both in this church and the community, have an effect on others. So what freedom will you give up for the sake of another, for the sake of the church, for the sake of your neighbor? What freedom will you lay down and sacrifice? As Paul asked those strong Christians in Corinth to give up meat, eating meat sacrificed to idols for the sake of the weaker ones who need help, what are you and I called to give up for the sake of others in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Living Hope and Christ the King, to ask for prayer, or to make a donation to support the work we are doing in Ozaukee County, you can visit our websites at livinghopesockville.org or ctkport.org, or click the link in the show notes to find us online or on social media. May God bless you, and we hope you'll join us again soon.